0: You're listening to The Bunker New York live on Red Bull Radio.
1: Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick, and we're here today with special guest Tin Man, who um, I guess is better known for his live sets, but is going to be DJing. We get to see that side of him today. He'll be here for the next two hours. We're going to take a break in the middle for the interview, so stay tuned for that. Again, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. You're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. We've been in the mix with Tin Man. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, what's up? Yeah. Um, I think maybe a lot of people haven't heard you really DJ much. Like, I feel this is the second time we've DJed on the radio, but.
0: Um, yeah. Well, a- it is kind of new. You know, I've always DJed at home, but I haven't been DJing out much recently until like the last year or so. Right. Um, Yeah, I've just always been a live act, Uh, but like this year it's been a bit of DJing every now and then.
1: Did this develop out of the, like, I know you have the backup plan, if
0: all all else fails. Right. Well, I always do carry USBs in case my luggage doesn't arrive with all my gear. Um, So that has also happened a few times that I went to play a live set, bags didn't show up, just had to DJ.
1: Yeah. Which brings me to something else I wanted to talk about, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but whatever, um, is the flexibility in your live that are you're, you're talking about luggage not showing up, but we recently did, uh, the bunker in Amsterdam with Moritz von Oswald and you performed live there as Tin Man and your, your computer didn't start,
0: right? Uh, yeah. My computer was just completely dead. Sound check was fine and then just moments before I was supposed to go yeah, on I could not get my computer to power up um, which is not really integral in my set but everything was sort of synced to that yeah um, so I had to last minute just yank all the cables out and rearrange and do you know a much more reduced set, which was just like lines straight from the 303 and drum machine into the mixer with a little bit of effects so like really stripped down um simple but that was cool too because i mean that is the the essence of of my set is really just doing acid jams
1: so that works yeah i mean at the end of the day you didn't seem like i was playing right before you and looked over and you're like oh yeah my computer (laughs) (laughs) isn't starting i guess i gotta reconnect some things and i would expect somebody to be completely and totally panicking but you just seem <laughs> kind of like uh eh, you know whatever and then you played a really great set i actually wanted to ask you specifically about that set i think it was like the toughest set i've ever heard you play do you think that's because of the different setup or is that just maybe more how you're playing in a club setting these days um, I am
0: playing a little bit faster and harder these days, but yeah, that was particularly rough. I don't know. somehow with that setup, I just felt like, well, I'm just gonna really bang it out. Yeah, <laughs> as, no, it was as a solution.
1: It was, yeah, and it was ready to go when you uh, came on. And then, after, I think the next time I saw you, not too long after that, we did the bunker in Brooklyn, the one right before sustained release. Mm-hmm. and you were playing as Romans with Gunnar Haslam and like your entire luggage with all... Maybe yeah. all most of your gear didn't show up.
0: Right. I was out here for a couple weeks and actually my baggage didn't show up until seven days later. Um, with all my gear. Uh, but yeah, then again I scrapped together some stuff, luckily I have some friends here in New York who loaned me a few things. And uh, yeah, just reduced a bit again. And improvised. I mean, always in those situations it's it's very stressful, of course, but I always just like pretend like it's the easiest thing ever. <laughs> just <laughs> find something and play something and it will work out.
1: Right. Well, I mean you have this it seems like complete obsession with this minimal three oh three acid sound for yeah. lack of a better description. I, I mean, feel rare. like for
0: live that works. Just Just to have a 303 playing on a PA sounds amazing already. Yeah. And just a little bit of drums, and it's like you're kind of already there.
1: Yeah, all the Roland machines, I've not being a producer myself, but just years of doing parties whenever somebody brings a 909 or an 808 or a 303 to the party, it's like, oh, okay, I, I, (laughs) I do get it. As soon as you hear it over the sound system, at soundcheck, it's like, yeah, even press the vinyl or... Yeah, the machines that imitate them—nothing seems quite like cuts through quite as clear or something.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is. There's some kind of voodoo going on there, and it just makes like the party work totally. <laughs> I know it always sounds awesome. <laughs> All that rolling gear sounds so good.
1: Right. So how wh- how did this obsession with 303s, acid, rolling gear? Where did this where did this come from?
0: Uh. I guess just out of being a fan of you know Chicago Acid House and sort of like obsessing over first collecting the records and then trying to copy them and that meant you know most of it was all made on those machines so that was like the only route to copy the stuff one to one and then was like after doing that for years then I sort of you know branched out and found out you could do something a little bit different more like melodic things and
1: right weird stuff yeah you definitely have your own approach to the sound um did you start out i know you've put out a lot of your own records is that how you started or did you start out with other labels first
0: um the first records i did on my own uh like the first one was a an ambient triple pack which is totally absurd thing to press on the vinyl but um, Triple
1: at, pack in general. You know. We've <laughs> yeah. done we've done one at the bunker, and it's it's yeah, it's a crazy undertaking. Doesn't actually make sense.
0: So I was just really excited about uh, vinyl stuff at that time, and I wanted for ages to to do a record by myself. So I went through the whole process and just organized it all myself. The pressing, the mastering, I went to the mastering sessions, and went to the printing place to. Checked the sleeves and all that. And I was just really into that process, but thought zero about distribution or what
1: I was actually going to do with the records. Once I had them, that actually seems to happen a lot. <laughs> funny enough where people are like, Oh yeah, um, we press these records. What do we do now?
0: <laughs> so what I did was I was just, I would just take them to shops where I would go record shopping. And I would just hand them to the people at the shop and say like, just put this on your shelves. And, um, like on consignment and if they sell that would be cool right so i did that for the ambient record called places and then i just did that for acid acid and that was something that I was also just like giving to friends and and things and didn't have distribution for and like i think it was a year actually after it came out i had a friend in germany and he was like yeah um I know some people at Hard Wax and I'm going to like pitch this to them to do distribution for it. And um, so they picked it up and I shipped the, the copies that I hadn't given away yet to them. And then for a while I had a, a kind of relationship with them and they were selling all the stuff that I was doing
1: on my label. Right. And then eventually you've moved on to working with a lot of different labels. Yeah. yeah. But you're still maintaining your label?
0: Um, It's, yeah, I, for me, I don't really feel like it's a label because it's, there's so little output, but it's something that it's like every once in a while, if I want to release something that I don't feel like is going to work on other labels, it's too big of a risk for other labels to take, or I don't know, I just feel like doing it myself, then I'll do that. So, like earlier this year, I did a six um record set called dripping acid and i did that again on my label
1: and what for people who don't know that came out as six 12 inches yeah but they was there a way that you were selling them all as a package or was it really just they all did they come out simultaneously how did this work
0: they all came out simultaneously um which was not advised by lots of people But I wanted to have it sort of, I wanted it to be a singular project, but I also wanted it to be that people could kind of pick and choose like 12 inches if they liked a particular thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, with our label, I've been told we've done at least a few different occasions where we've released multiple 12 inches, not like this, but by separate artists at the same time especially with a bigger artist and maybe a lesser known artist. And it seems Mm -hmm. to act like everybody in the industry always tells me this is the worst. I'd like, it's terrible. You shouldn't do this. Uh Should put out a release, let it breathe, put out another one. But it actually seems like it's worked really well for us whenever we do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it worked fine for me. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was warning me like, don't do that. You should do it staggered, but it was fine.
1: Right. And was there a way for people to buy all six at once or it was just like, you see it as an album, but it was actually, I
0: mean, yeah, you just have to order all <laughs> of them. I don't know. I, I feel like I probably should have done like some special box or something that the collectors could get and put them all in. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I could still do something like you that. You could still, yeah. And sell, yeah.
1: It, sell it as another. Yeah. With a poster or something. <laughs> right. Um, let me see what else, so outside of music, you've been over to my house a couple times, um and you're kind of a a beast in the kitchen. I feel like most people probably <laughs> don't know this. Uh, you came over a few years ago and made a Thai curry from scratch, and then this year you came over with a bunch of Mexican salsas that I mean we had several legitimate Mexican cooks. <laughs> In the house, and they were all, I mean, I don't know. You might yeah, have passed the test. Yeah, you passed the test. You might have outdone them a little bit. Um, do you have some kind of professional background in cooking, or where just this is just your. I do have hobby?
0: some professional background in cooking, which was sort of accidental. Uh, I ran and cooked in a summer restaurant for three years in Switzerland together with my ex girlfriend, um, which was wild. It was like, a crazy difficult job uh, and it was just like you know two and a half months every summer seven days a week 14 hours a day non-stop Whoa. kitchen action and I had no experience uh, but I just got thrown into it and so yeah, why did you yeah. do that <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be fun it was cool I mean it was very rewarding it was a very rewarding job it's fun to feed people yeah um so yeah that was like my crash course and i figured some stuff out there so i can cook yeah I'm not, I'm not a pro but i know some stuff
1: yeah you know some stuff and then i also read somewhere that you at one point made a living designing miniature barbie and hot wheels sets
0: that is true yeah i did that for a long time i worked um freelance as a set designer and also doing set construction for mattel toys is that what and for in- people who don't know mattel toys is the I guess the biggest toy company in the world and they have lots of sub-brands. So they have Barbie and Hot Wheels and they do all the licensings for big movies and yeah, board games, everything. Yeah.
1: Um, and what else did I want to ask you about here? Um, why you're currently based in Vienna and you've been there for a while.
0: Yeah, I've been there for over 10 years already. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I just wanted to ask why Vienna, because you're not you're not from there. No, It's not a place where electronic musicians seem to <laughs> generally settle what's what's the attraction to vienna i had moved
0: there for love my ex-girlfriend lived there and um yeah it was just like a wild jump actually i had not anticipated going there actually a lot of people think that i have family connections there or something but um no, no, were, i was born and raised in california, california America, yeah and um i don't know i just it was like a possibility to do it so i just jumped over there and tried it out. It was kind of rough at first, but it turned out to be a really good spot for me.
1: But post-relationship, you're still there. Yeah, still enjoying yeah
0: it. I stuck around. It's a good base for me. It's like a very chill city. It's like fairly affordable. You've
1: got mm- a big airport. Yeah, like and most of Europe. my
0: gigs are in, like 85% of my gigs are in Europe, so it's like very convenient. And yeah, it's cool. I'm spending a lot of time in New York at the moment, which is also great.
1: Yeah, that's why we're doing this. It's great. Not even necessarily here for a gig right now. And you're here in town. It's very nice. And I just wanted to, I guess, to close things out, just ask about if you had any keys or tips to your, like, I I feel like you're a super productive person in the studio, which a lot of, a lot of the producers I work with on the label and a lot of friends seem to really struggle with this. Mm -hmm. How... I guess any keys or tips you would have to just maintaining such a, I mean, a high level of quality and just so much stuff coming out. Just, I think for a lot of producers, they seem to struggle with just finishing stuff, not spending the time working on it, but just like how, how do you get so much stuff that you just consider done and you're ready to put out into the world?
0: I I also struggle with finishing things. Um, But I mean, my general strategy is just to produce a lot which is easy for me because I just love being in the studio and working. So it's like I'm recording every day, basically, if I can. Tons of sketches. And um, my challenge is just like figuring out what like goes together and what is going to be like an idea that's a bit different. And yeah, like putting a whole concept together from from all those bits and pieces. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I think everybody works differently. For I sure. I realize that a lot with my collaborations. I'm like always surprised. Like, wow, you know, it's like totally different style than I work.
1: Yeah, and you uh, have a, you have a lot of collaborations. I mean, just from the releases, you've got something out with Donato Dazi, even the Romans project with Gunnar Haslam. Your project with Casagrain. You did this thing with Tejada.
0: Yep, and Quattro. Ah, uh, <laughs> I was just doing some jams with Patricia
1: here in New York recently. Um, yeah, I'm kind of a collaboration freak. And just, it sounds like just maybe the key advice there would be just to be in the studio all the time, that's <laughs> what you do? Uh,
0: I think so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember when I was in art school, one of the professors was saying like the key to success is just to like lock yourself in the studio. If you can force yourself to be in there for, you know, eight or 10 hours. Worst case, you're going to get so bored that you're going to have to do something and right. something's going to work. <laughs> so, yeah, I think for sure, just putting in the time is, is is the key and just to keep moving, really, not get caught up on things.
1: Right. So before we get back into the mix here, do you have any upcoming projects, releases, anything of that nature that you want to shout out for, I guess, 2018 at this point? Um, I think what's
0: exciting, well, coming out, Um, Pretty soon next year will be a reissue of my first big acid record called acid acid
1: Oh, I can finally get that. Yeah,
0: so it'll be the original triple pack and I went back through my archives and I found A bunch more tracks that I was doing at that time. So it'll be the original three and then one additional disc Oh cool. Yeah, and that will be on um, acid test
1: because that's how you claim that we met, but I still, <laughs> to this day, I'm always like, did that really happen? I, I thought that I had shipped you one, <laughs> but maybe it didn't happen. It seems quite possible. Like, I remember really wanting that record. <laughs> I don't quite remember ordering it, and it's not there in my collection, but that doesn't mean that For it wasn't sure, this time I'll get you one. at one point. Okay, I can finally get it on vinyl. Cool. So, I guess we'll get back into the mix, and I would imagine you're going to play some more Acid.
0: Yeah. Um, acid is... The theme with me always.
1: Okay, great. So we are here in the studio with Tin Man. We've got another hour left. He's going to get back into the mix. You're listening to The Bunker, New York on Red Bull Radio. Red Bull Radio.
0: to Red Bull Radio.
2: Till, 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 till,
1: To the Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. We've been in the mix with Tin Man. I've just got about five, six minutes left here in the show. I uh, just wanted to shout out a few things we have coming up. We're doing the Bunker Limited on New Year's Eve in Brooklyn. That's with Patrick Russell, back to back Nahal Ramchandani, Antennas, Justin Cudmore, and Unjust. Um, more info on that at thebunkerny.com. And also, we're doing our 15 year anniversary on January 6th at Elsewhere with Ninos do Brazil, R. Rose, Jane Fitz, Hot Mix, Wrecked tennis, Patrick Russell, and myself, Brian Kasnick. So, uh, some big things coming up soon. Again, info on that at thebunkerny.com. Uh, thanks a lot to Tin Man for joining us here with a really great DJ set. And yeah, like I said, we've got five minutes left, so stay tuned. You're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. <laughs>